I'm Jim Frawley, and this is Bellwether. Welcome to Bellwether. Thank you for joining again this week. We're coming. We're closing out the year of 2021. Uh, I don't know when you're listening to this, but we're closing out the year of 2021, and I'm closing it out with a few interviews that are going to be helpful for you as you plan for for your next year or beyond. You know, whenever. Um, this week, we did a live interview with Joanne Seminara. She's an elder care attorney and estate planning attorney based in Brooklyn, New York. And the reason I did it, like, let's be honest. Estate planning isn't the most exciting topic, right? Joanne's very interesting, but the topic of estate planning is not very interesting. I did it almost like a, a public service, right? And I, I I don't have a massive amount of listeners on the podcast, but the people who do listen, I do my best to provide something of value to you. And this is one of those things, you know, we could talk about saving for retirement. We could talk about all these different things. What Joanne talks about on the podcast this week and in the live interview is one of those things where when you think about estate planning, you think about putting together your wills, you might have young children, you might have whatever. It's a bigger conversation than just putting together a will. You know, some people will say, well, you know what, I don't care about that because I'm going to be dead. A lot of the work that we have to do um, is not for that, you know, untimely demise, right? It's for when you can't speak for yourself. And there, there's just a little bit of planning. It's not a lot of work. Some of these are just little one-page documents, but there are, there are five things that you really should have in place, even if you're alone, even if you're not this ultra-wealthy person. But who's going to be making decisions for you when you can't make decisions? And, you know, the pandemic has, has really shined a light. We're seeing a lot of statistics on the millennials and younger starting to realize their own mortality a little bit. Their friends are dropping, um, which, you know, I shouldn't laugh about. But, um, but it's true. It's, you know, how are you when you're incapacitated in some particular type of way? It makes everything easier if you have this one document or this document or that in place so that people know what your wishes are and, and how to do it. It's not a major task. This is like knocking out one weekend to just write out what you need to do, talk to a lawyer, they do the thing, and then you're, you're pretty much all set. But here's what's really important that Joanne will drive home. It has to be done properly. This isn't something you just fill out a form online. You want a really good lawyer who could put this together. It's airtight so that there is no confusion when the time comes that you actually need somebody to do it. So I wanted to put that filter on it before I turned it back over to the to the live interview that we recorded. This is going to be helpful for you as you plan whatever it is that you're going to plan. So um, do that. I hope you have a great week. I hope you plan really, really well and get these things in place. And as always, I look forward to seeing you out there soon. Thanks. Hello and welcome to this live edition of Bellwether Hub, thank you so much for joining. As always, you, you know, for those of you that tune into this thing and listen to the podcast and everything, I love doing the live streams because we get some questions from people who are listening. Uh, it's a little more interactive and we can always turn this into a podcast later. So that's what's great. This week, I really wanted Joanne, our guest, on because I feel, you know, we talk about all of these things from a developmental perspective, work and life, 
all the things that we have to focus on in order to be the best person that we want to be, how to be the best executive that we want to be. And we're all working in these in these different kind of contexts of work and life and everything. But we tend to ignore the really impactful things that are going to pay the biggest dividends down the road. And so I, I consider this interview almost like a public service to the people listening, because we always hear you have to save a retirement. You have to do this. And we always say we can do it tomorrow. And nobody wants to talk about the topic we're talking about today, which is, you know, our untimely demise. Um, but it's an important one to talk about, especially for we're going to talk about this in a little bit, especially for certain generations who uh, need to talk about things like wills and, and everything and how to have those difficult conversations with with your parents, how to have difficult conversations with your, your spouse or your children. And how do you properly set things up for the people you care about so that their headache is is much much less when when that unfortunate time comes. So with that, I'm very excited to to introduce our guest, Joanne Seminara. Joanne is an estate planning attorney in uh, Brooklyn, New York. She's at Grimaldi and Young, one of the best in the business. Thrilled to have Joanne. Joanne, thank you for for being here on Bellwether Hub and tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, thanks, Jim. This is it's great to be here. Um, I've been an attorney for over 30 years, and I focus my practice exclusively in estate planning, elder law, that includes trust planning and estate administration and trust administration. That means unraveling the estate or the trust after someone passes. So I do all the prep work. I meet with people, hopefully sooner rather than later, to set up an estate plan that takes into account their uh, long, possible long-term illnesses, of course, the nature of their assets, the amount of their assets, their family situation, who they wanna leave, their legacy to, what legacy they want to create, and what their specific needs are. So I've been doing this for a very long time. I meet with uh, families. I meet with young families, young couples. Typically, most of my practice is with people over 60 who are starting to think about uh, what they're going to need as they retire and how they're going to leave that legacy to their children, hopefully by avoiding taxes and making it as smooth as possible. And hopefully as stress-free as possible for their family members. I love doing what I do because it gives people um, a sense of relief. It takes this, I try to uh, meet with them on a very personal, confidential level and give them the support to figure out how to navigate this decision-making. And it's difficult, um, but it's such a satisfying feeling when people walk away and they know what they've done and I've made it clear um, that I just wanna keep doing it and helping families to make this transition and make these decisions, not just for when they're passed, but when they, they have passed, but when they're alive. How do we begin to care for someone as they begin to slow down? What documents do they need in place? And what is gonna make the situation um, as, service to serve them as much as possible to serve them and their loved ones in the future. So let's, I want to level set real quick, because when you talk about estate planning, mm -hmm. you talked about two very different things. One is relieving the stress. Yes. But then the other is, is protecting the assets in, in a, a tax strategy and everything else. But to be clear, estate planning isn't just for the, the uber wealthy. I mean, what you're fundamentally talking about is everybody needs to have some kind of plan. We're going to go into the documents in a minute that you outlined in your book, but we're, we're talking about everybody should probably have one of these in place. Absolutely. Um, any one of us are vulnerable to a serious illness, an accident, death. 
we're all made of the same stuff. And what happens when the horrible happens or the inevitable happens? And what happens when you haven't planned? Nobody knows who's on first, what to do first. And without these basic documents in place, you don't even know who's in charge. And if there are several people who think they're in charge, then you may be entering into a very stressful disaster zone where everybody thinks they know best. So it, it can turn ugly and sad very quickly. It's always sad, but it can turn more difficult quickly if nobody, no one knows what to do and you haven't left a plan. Um, and, you, and in the best scenario, you've shared that plan. So everybody knows it's your decision and it's not Johnny trying to take over and you know be in charge to the detriment of his sisters or typically it's a power play it's not even often about the fact that everyone's getting an equal share it's it's everybody thinks they know best and um an elder or the person who's dying or under demise or, or has died is the person that should have made that decision it shouldn't be up to a tussle at the end and it's extremely important for to relieve family stress uh Losing someone, watching someone decline is extremely difficult. The last thing you need to be talking about at that time is how much money do you have, mom? What are we going to do? The, near the end is not the time to make those decisions. Right, right. With, with the proper planning. And, and it's almost a courtesy, you know, as a family person, you know, we've got six kids in my family. I've got tons of first cousins, which I talk about all the time, right? As a courtesy to the family you almost want to make sure that these are in place because you don't want something like this coming between um, between your family and, you know, stress. When we're under stress, right, we lose a loved one. We're not making the best decisions anyway. And then all of a sudden you're adding multiple layers on top of it. Having that that detailed plan would be would be extremely helpful. So normally, and I just read an article, millennials are, are feeling their own demise because of the pandemic and they're all writing wills and, and everything else. I always knew that you had to have a will. Right. You have kids, you have your will. And that's that's kind of it. But you wrote a book uh, called Five and Fifty Five, which are the five essential legal documents you need by the age of 55. So a will is only one of them. Yes. You've also outlined, you know, a will also isn't enough. You need a healthcare proxy, living will, power of attorney, digital diary. What talk to me about these five things. It's more than just a will. What are these five things that you actually should be getting in place? OK, so just a bit of intro to the book. It came about because um, I'm fortunate to have a husband who's a writer. And uh, I often come home with these horror stories. Of course, I leave the names in the office and, and a lot of the details, but of people who didn't plan, of people who don't have basic documents in place and therefore are in for several years of legal representation, tens of thousands of dollars, and an unresolved problem, which is sitting on their back for a very long time. So he came up with this idea of, well, there should be a point at which we start to make decisions about our lives. You know, we all know when to go to, for a mammogram and we all know when we have to get certain things checked. We all know that we have to have car insurance and life insurance, but we don't, there's no trigger. So what's, so we thought 55 is an, an age by which you should start thinking about these things. Our body's starting to talk to ourselves. You know, we're starting to know what our future is in terms of our long-term possible illnesses, our family tendencies. We, we probably had our kids. Um, we're looking toward maybe retirement. We kind of know what we're going to have when, when we leave this earth. We've kind of settled by that point. And it's a good 
age to sit down and say, okay, what's the plan? Maybe our kids are older. Maybe we can start putting people in charge just in case. And it's, so it's, we, we kind of thought of it as a cutoff point and an appropriate point. Not to say you shouldn't have these things in place when you're young and you have young children and you might consider guardians if the horrible happens, but at 55, you should really start to think about these five documents. And I started with kind of my favorite, which is the power of attorney. So a power of attorney is a document in which you name an agent and hopefully an alternate or two to make decisions for you if you're unable to make those decisions for yourself. You have an accident, you're in the hospital, maybe you're having knee surgery, it gets complicated. Who's gonna go home and write the checks for your rent? Who is going to make sure the oil gets delivered in your tank and you know your heat goes on? Who's gonna make sure your mortgage gets paid? Who's gonna be able to sign those checks? If you're the only person on that check, who's gonna take over for you in this interim period where you're not able to care for yourself? If you're looking downstream and you think there's dementia in your family and you're starting to see signs of forgetfulness, why not do a power of attorney where you can say, look, I'm not up to doing this stuff. I can't do the math. I can't balance my checkbook. I'm really losing track of what I own and where it is and how it should be invested. And I need someone to help me make these decisions. You need a power of attorney in which you appoint a trusted agent to act in your best interest, not to make it his or her own decisions. It should be someone who has some financial savvy, who's responsible, who you trust implicitly, not to clean you out. You know, you can choose the wrong person and then, you know, you're in a very bad place. Choose that person in your life or two that you trust to make decisions for you, to be that safety net under you for a, an interim period of time, a short period, a long period, whatever it takes to float your boat when you're not able to make those decisions, apply for benefits, apply for Medicaid, argue with your insurance company. As soon as you get on the phone for your mother or father, your, your neighbor and say, look, I'll help you out. They're gonna say, who are you? Who are you? I'm not talking to you. I don't need to talk to you. There's all these privacy laws about health insurance, uh, HIPAA um, violations. You can't speak to someone on the phone. A bank officer is not gonna to speak to you on behalf of your mother or your neighbor. You have to show them that power of attorney. People come to my office and say, I'm here to plan for my mother. I said, oh really, where's your mother? She said, well, she's not well and she's not really gonna be able to make sense of these things. I said, well, I can't help you because you're not the client. Do you have a power of attorney? And if they pull out a power of attorney and I look at it, and it looks good. Okay, now we can get somewhere. Which is, it's so enough, it doesn't look good. And that's, we can talk about that later. So, the, so that's the first document. And it really sets the stage for a lot of decision-making if you can't make it yourself. Which is a good, I think, misconception that people have. Is to say, look, I'm their kid. I could speak for them, and the answer is no, you can't without the proper documentation in, in place. So we can assume that, look, they're family. Of course, I can do it. I'm a family member. They might let you into the hospital to visit a person because you're family, but from a legal perspective and making decisions, you actually have no power without that power of attorney. Well, you, I don't want you to mix up healthcare proxy and power of attorney. Sure, right, with right. Regard to property, with regard to property decisions, rights, benefits, real estate your co-op chairs, anything you, that you own or any of your rights are governed by that power of attorney, assuming you've done it properly and it has all the bells and whistles and the boxes checked, which is something you really need to know how to do with the guidance of an attorney. I've seen enough of them done wrong 
and I've still had to go to guardianship court to have a guardian appointed. And it's a simple document. The next document is a healthcare proxy. Now most, if you go to the hospital and you're admitted, they'll ask you for it. If you don't have it, they'll hand you one. That's not the time to decide who your agent should be. So it's a very basic document. You can probably get it on most websites and you fill it out in the presence of two witnesses and you appoint an agent, you put their information down, phone number, address, and you, if you have two alternates, put the alternates down because our agents can you know, suffer a demise before we do and then we're nowhere. So that's one of the mistakes people make. They just appoint one person, not good enough. Not good enough if you've got two. Um, so that's the healthcare proxy. And it says, most importantly, that your agent can make decisions for you if you are unable to make them yourself. So if you can make your own decisions, healthcare proxy agent is not in, does not have the authority to do it. This is only if you are temporarily or permanently unable to make those decisions. And you want this to be a person who's calm under stress, who's not going to freak out and say, oh my God, I can't, I can't decide, you know, look what happened to mom. Look, we've got to step back and make the best decision in keeping with your, the principal uh, wishes, not my wishes, not my wishes that my mother should live forever, but the wishes of my mother about how she wants to be treated. If, if, you know, the horrible happens, if she's near death, if there's a chance that she can be rehabilitated, well, what would she want done in those situations? And, and it can get very sad very quickly. Part of that decision-making is called a living will. A living will is a separate document. I like to make it as a separate document that says my wishes concerning what happens near the end of my life. Do I want extraordinary means taken to prolong my life if my death is imminent? Do I want intubation? Do I want a feeding tube? Do I not want these things? And typically most people choose, well, if I'm dying and my death is imminent, well, I don't expect you to just keep me alive. And that's a, a separate document. That's a separate decision as to whether you want to say, no, I don't want extraordinary means taken to keep me alive if I am near death. And there is no hope that I can or very little hope that I will um, survive for any period of time. So those are two companion documents, number two. Um, healthcare proxy, so we did power of attorney, which is property and decision-making, healthcare proxy and living will, which is separate document, separate agent, separate considerations about who the agent should be. Maybe it should be your daughter will know who's a nurse because she's cool-headed. You know, maybe it should be not one of your kids. Depends, it depends on, your sense of who's gonna be in the decision-making seat and whether they're gonna be able to cope with the decision-making and really be on it and really look for uh, getting the best guidance and speaking to doctors, which brings me to another document called a HIPAA release, not in the book because we, could, we couldn't do everything. A HIPAA release gives your agent the authority to see your medical records and because they're very private and we don't want people seeing our private medical records unless we give them specific um, specific authorization. So the next document Jim mentioned is a will, right? And a will, obviously most people know what it is. It states your wishes about who is gonna get your assets at the end of the day, the terms under which they're gonna get them. Um, if you have young grandchildren and you wanna leave your young grandchildren money or property, then you don't wanna give it to them outright. You wanna put it in trust until they're of an age where they can enjoy it and 
you know, typically that's not until they're well into their 20s, maybe even 30s. So yep. they understand the value of that asset. Most importantly, a will will name a an executor and an alternate or two always um, who's going to pull this pull this thing together when you die and follow the instructions in the will. Find a lawyer who can probate the will, take it to court, have it deemed a will by the court, formally appoint the executor as the person who's going to pull this thing together and follow the instructions. You want a can-do person who you want, you also want to have the information about what your assets are. Yeah. So as part of this planning, we always say, okay, we're in a confidential room, nobody's here. What do you own? Let's make a list. Let's make a spreadsheet. We make a spreadsheet. Who? What is it? Exactly what is it? Is it two families, a three family, you're collecting rent? What's the story? What's the title of the property? Whose title is it in? Is it joint with your daughter or is it just in your name? Show me the bank accounts, show me the IRAs, the 401ks, who are your beneficiaries? Let's make this thing work. Let's know what's gonna be, uh, what's gonna be controlled by this will and what might be outside the will. If you name a beneficiary, it doesn't go under the will because the beneficiary designation goes first. If you have beneficiaries on your IRA, they can be stretched out after your passing. There are certain advantages to going through the estate and going outside the estate in terms of the will in terms of what goes through the will. The other document, which we won't get into too much detail about because it's is a trust and people are confused about like, what's a trust? What's a will? Do I need both? Do I need one of them? Is one better? Um, and the question, the answer is yes, a trust is better under certain circumstances. And without getting into too much detail, it's better if you have a complicated uh, beneficiary pool, meaning you're not leaving to all your kids equally, Maybe you have a disabled child, you want to do a separate trust for them. For there's some reason you want to avoid probate, the disabled child is not going to be able to show up in court and consent. If you have property in other states, you want to really think about a trust so you don't have two probates in the state you die and in the state where you have real property. Some really simple examples. You also might want to protect those assets. Jim, you talked about the next generation. Yeah. If you're looking down at a long-term illness, and it's something that you're going to be living with for a while and you're going to need 12 hours of care a day or more or even 24 hours of care a day. You're going to deplete that that little pot of assets that you've worked for your whole life and maybe have a lien on your house when you pass away. Um, we are elder law attorneys, which means we look at long term disability situations and we look for ways to protect assets so that there's something left over to pay for those things that the government will never pay for during your lifetime first we take care of you and then maybe there's going to be something left over for those kids maybe we don't have to spend it all down to nothing virtually maybe we can save estate taxes if we plan property and if you're wealthy and make certain gifts during lifetime so they're not part of the estate there's lots of considerations that go into making a will making a trust and the decision as to whether you need a will and or a trust many both so as we as we look at this, right, it sounds like you've got your we, we always assume it's just the will of the trust is, you know, we're already gone. So let's just put together the plan after we're gone. And let let everyone figure it out. But that's not really the only thing that we should be focused about. Most people that I don't normally hear talking um, about for themselves is what to do when I'm alive. So those first three that you outlined, the power of attorney, the living will, the healthcare proxy, you actually need those in place so that decisions can be made when you can't make the decisions for you for based on how you want to 
currently live, how you want to execute, get things done um, as a as a as a need to protect things while you're still there. And then the other ones are are for you know the assets and everything as as you pass on. Right. And and if I could tell you stories of using that power of attorney to do planning for people who can no longer do it for themselves and have actually saved their assets for their children. The power of attorney that we prepare for our clients, we stuff it full of all kinds of authority to make, for example, Medicaid asset protective trust. The agent can make the trust. The agent can fill it up with assets. The agent can sell the homestead or transfer the homestead to the trust. It's an amazing tool in the right hands in the hands of someone who's looking out for the best interest of their loved one and their entire family in the context of what that loved one would have wanted if she or he was able to plan for him or herself. So it's an incredible tool. If you have the tools in place, a lot can be accomplished, a lot can be saved, and you can go to sleep with your head on the pillow and not worry about every little thing. Um, so the next document, which, um, People don't think about this. Maybe yeah. more and more people are thinking. We call it a digital diary, Jim. So um, a lot of our banking and a lot of our bill paying and a lot of our assets are on our computers, right? My husband does the bills on the computer. I'm still a, a dinosaur. I don't usually do that. But all the accounts are there for you know, for viewing. But you can't just go into someone's computer. I can't come to your house, Jim, and... and Break, go into your computer and see what you own if you know you appoint me as your executor um, in advance. Let's say I need to get into that computer because I have to know what you own because I got to make some assets liquid to take care of you. I've got to have the passwords. I've got to know where the money is. I've got to know what those magic, the answers to those questions that they make you answer about your, you know, your mother-in-law's maiden name. Yeah. Um, if I don't have those tools, I'm not going to be able to get into your computer. And assuming you gave me that authority, which is one of the pieces of authority that we put in our power of attorney. Yes, we can access digital assets. Um, we can access uh, all kinds of those. We, we all have frequent flyer miles. There's things that we own that are only on the computer. And not to mention all our wonderful photos of all our kids and grandchildren. We want to be able to access those assets. So we need specific authority for that. And if you don't know how to get into that computer, then it's going to be very difficult. You might have to hire a geek to figure out how to get in. <laughs> so make this what we call a digital diary. It's a document that lists all the places you have accounts, your Facebook passwords, your, your banking account passwords, your investment account passwords, the name of the asset, you know, the number of the account, very confidential stuff, your password, the answers to the magic questions, and have it available on paper, right? Because you can't get into the computer, maybe. And put it all there in some kind of code if you want. Tell somebody where it is, where this piece of paper is. Don't leave it on your desk, maybe. And you have to amend it from time to time. So you need to keep it up to date. That's what we call a digital diary. It's really important when I meet with an executive. She's like, well, I don't know. He did everything on computers. And I was like, oh. I don't, I didn't, he wasn't my client. Now I'm with the executor or the trustee and she doesn't know how to get in to find this stuff out. Even if she has the authority on paper to get in, she needs the answers to the magic questions. So those are the documents we think you need. Power of attorney, healthcare proxy, living will, that HIPAA authorization, um, the will or the trust and the digital diary. And that's kind of where, you know, at 55, you should start thinking about, well, if I have young children, 
who's there going to be their guardian? I know something that's something, Jim, you talked about with me. Um, you know, what if, God forbid, I, my, my wife and I, you know, something happens to us on the trip. You want to know that you've decided this. You're going to feel better if you've chosen, you know, who's going to take care of your most precious, precious in the world. Who's that going to be? It's really important, right? It's really important that people not fight over things like this. Well, it's completely. And it's, you know, it's in, it's in the best interest of, you know, as I think about our kids, um, it's the, it's your responsibility. You know, you're raising your kids. You want them to be the best that they can be, but it's ultimately your, your responsibility to make sure if something bad happened, you want to make sure that they, they're going to be dealing with enough stuff on their own, make the transition as smooth as possible so that they can focus on healing and, and whatever else that, right. that they need to do. And that's true for our, you know, older families. I have children and grandchildren and um, I, of course, taking care of my own parents' estates and knowing what they wanted, knowing exactly what they wanted and having the documents in place and saying, here, doctor, give me this, give me the disc with all the, uh, the medical information. I'm entitled to it. Go to the record room, go get it, figure it out and read it. Have the, have the confidence that you're making the right decision based on looking at the information. I can get a second opinion. I can do things like that. And I can ultimately make this, these very difficult decisions because they would want me to make them. And I have the paperwork to prove it. And I don't have to argue with my brother and sister about who's in charge. Dad and mom have made this decision. If it's a wonderful family that's together, divide up the jobs. Who's gonna do a better, job with the healthcare decisions? Who's going to do a better job with the burial decisions? Who's going to do the better job with uh, the power of attorney? Who's got the financial acumen to make those kinds of decisions? And who's going to who's gonna make it happen and, make, and share it with them? Because if you share it, then you've already reduced the stress. And that's the way it's going to be. And they're not going to fight about, well, maybe you influenced mommy to do this. No, mommy did it when she was competent, when she was clear, and when she knew exactly what she wanted and she, you know, you can provide for disabled grandchildren or other people in your life who you want to leave something to. It's so very powerful to have that um, sense of stress lifted off you and know that it's going to be okay. Now, a lot of, you know, we talk a lot about how people kick the can down the road. Yeah. So I don't want to do it now. I can worry about it later. I don't want to talk about it now. I'm going to talk about it later. And I feel like most of the time, that this happens is because it seems like this is a lot of work. It's overwhelming, right? I'm looking at a healthcare proxy, living will, will, power of attorney, digital diary, HIPAA. And, you know, for many people hearing these things, their brain kind of just turns off saying, I don't know what that really is. So I'll just worry about it later. I don't have the time to dive into. It. I don't understand it, but it actually doesn't have to take that much time. Right. It, I imagine this is, you know, meeting with an attorney, you get the list of things that you've got to provide and figure out. You come back and meet with the attorney and you just have to start the conversation. Is that what advice do you have to people who may feel overwhelmed about this, not know where to begin? Mm -hmm. Because whether it's misconceptions or or so many things to get done, what advice do you have for people along, along that line? Well, I know that what the most difficult part of this is that it's emotional, right? So it's nobody wants to think about their own demise. Nobody wants to be making decisions about who's going to, you know, bury them or who's going to make really hard decisions for the end of their life. You just don't want to think about it. Let's just not think about it. It's not going to happen for a long time. None, none of us know. So the first thing as an attorney is really, uh, is, is really to put them at ease and say, look, come in. Your daughter wants to bring you in, come in. She's going to sit outside. We're going to have a very private conversation about you. 
about who you are, about what you own, about what your thoughts are, about who you want to leave your assets to. We're not going to rush this thing. We're just going to take it one step at a time. And typically it's overwhelming. People come in, they haven't really thought it all through. And we start to explore these documents. Well, if you were sick, who would you want to speak to your doctor? Who would you want to make these decisions? And often I find people, you know, sadly enough, many people are alone and they don't have a partner and they don't have a best friend and they don't have children or grandchildren they can rely on. So we explore, well, do you go to a religious service? Do you, is there a friend in church who might take this on for you? We start to explore who the people in your life are. Maybe it's your friend who has a responsible daughter who you've known for many, many years, and maybe she'd help out. And we start to, to lay down the bones of the people who should take charge. And I often do the decision-making in one or two or three meetings, and we we start to do maybe the power of attorney and the healthcare proxy. We start with that and those little ancillary documents. And then we come back and sign those and say, okay, we put this in place. Now let's think about the assets. What do you own? In a perfect world, they'll bring me one each of each of the statements. Um, or maybe the kids can, one of the kids can start collecting that if they're very elderly and they can't put their hands on it. So let's talk about each of these things and let's talk about the entire pot and how you see this pot of assets being used during your lifetime, how much you're gonna need for this, for this second half of your life, when you retire, when you're on social security, how much you're gonna get from your IRAs, your pensions, your 401ks, if you have those, and how are you gonna live and is this gonna be enough? And do we, should we invest some of it? So we're now first looking at the, the, the person as a live person who's gonna be alive for a long time, if that looks like the case, younger person in their 60s or 70s, what's the plan? And if we think there are long-term health you know, problems coming down the road, maybe we should put that house in a, in a Medicaid asset protective trust. Maybe that's the first step. Yes, you can still live there. You don't lose anything tax-wise, but at least we've protected the homestead and that will be left for your children. It's not gonna be a stream of income because you need to live there, if you're able to live there. And if you're not able to live there, we can talk about that too. We can talk about taxes. We can talk about capital gains taxes. We can talk about the consequences of these things. And sometimes people need to come three or four times and that's okay. They need to have a level of comfort. And one of the things I pride myself on is making sure they understand what they are doing and what they have done. So I make it simple and I, if, I, if it's a trust, I show them what I have, I have a prop, I call it a trust box. This is the trust, now we're gonna put stuff in it. Then we're gonna decide who's gonna hold it. Who's gonna be the manager? Who's gonna be the trustee? Let's make sure you understand what we're doing so you don't walk out of my office and say, I don't know what she said, I don't know what I did, I'm really nervous now. It's not the way to do things, which is why you wanna do them when you're young enough to really wrap your head around it and not under the stress of illness or a child's illness or a spouse's illness, or you know, the inability to come home from a hospital and having to go to a nursing home and not knowing what the future is and you haven't signed any documents. I've made many trips to hospitals and nursing homes. It's not where I wanna be meeting people for the first time. I really don't. It's not when they're at their best and they're thinking most clearly. And unfortunately, as people age and they are alone, many of them, there are people out there who's gonna, who are gonna take advantage of that situation and say, oh, this is a good time to help Mabel because if I help Mabel, maybe I'll get something. And maybe she'll, you know, sign some documents. And, you know- you a nice little cut from Mabel, right. That stuff happens, you know? 
and it happens in families too. And um, so near the end is not the time. And if there's one mistake people make, it's waiting too long. You know, if there's another mistake they make, it's thinking they can do it on their own. Like, I, wait a minute, I can download this stuff. I can do this stuff. I can read. I know what I want to do. Yeah, maybe, maybe. But more likely than not, that's going to take a longer time. That will that you thought you drafted, which without supervision of attorney, which already puts it under some lesser um, test when documents are done, a will is done under the supervision attorney, there is a presumption that it is valid, legal. When you do it on your own, you lose that presumption. So if anyone's going to say, wait, I don't think the witnesses were really in the room when she signed it. Well, how are you going to prove that? Who's going right. to stand up for that? An attorney knows this will's not getting signed unless I have two disinterested witnesses in this room watching her sign it and I read this clause, and I ask the magic questions about whether she understands it, etc. These are things that are written in statute. They're not things to play around with because they have consequences. And well, I, I, I feel like a lot of it is um, you can do it on your own, but you don't know what you don't know. And when we talk about something as complicated as this, it does need to be bespoke to your particular situation. Yeah. And you need an interpreter who's actually studied this simply because you don't know what you don't know. Exactly. And for people, I mean, when we're talking about some of these individuals, I would imagine the, the assets are very high. There's a lot of property. There's, I mean, there's money to be made if you want Mabel putting you into her, her thing. Um, so you actually need to protect yourself or your parents from that particular situation as well. So you might, outside, not know about it. you might not know about it. Right. That's right. Yeah. It may come from nowhere, right. Come out of, uh, come from nowhere. The, um, so the overwhelming, Difficult to talk about is one of the reasons why people don't get started. We can imagine. The other one is they don't like to talk about it or they're afraid to talk about it. Um, what recommendations do you have for that? I mean, how late is too late? And how do we get people to not be afraid to just have that matter of fact conversation of, you know, your time is going to come. We might as well embrace that fact and, and get things in order. I think, um, the people that are going to be left, if, if you have a parent or an elder or even a good friend who needs to make these decisions because they're getting on or they're ill, you see things change, you see changes, and you know you're going to be the one settling this thing at the end. And they love you, and they the last thing they're going to want to see is you have more stress. You're going to have the possibly the stress of, of watching them under difficult situations and providing for their care. And the last thing you need on top of that is trying to figure out who's in charge and who's gonna handle this estate. If you appeal to them from the point of view of, well, I'm not gonna know what to do. I mean, the day after, what's gonna happen? And that's really stressful for me. And I have to figure it out too for myself, but we each have to figure it out for ourselves. Um, and I think you really have to give people the confidence that you're not looking at this question from a sense of, well, what, what's going to be left for me? Because, you know, there are those people who say, well, make sure my mother doesn't spend any of her money so I get it. That's, that's you know, when I meet with a family, I get, I get a sense of, like, whether that's the story or not. And, and yeah. invariably it's not. 
people want to take care of their loved ones and their parents and the parents need to know that they need to reduce stress on their family and they know what they want to happen. Sometimes people come in and say, look, I'll leave everything to my son and he'll divide it among the rest of my kids. I know he will. I know he will. It's the wrong solution. It, it's not the way to do things. And I've seen some really sad, my mother really wanted everything to go equally. Yeah, she probably did. She put Johnny in charge because he said, look, Ma, I'll take care of the whole thing. Not the way to do it. And I've seen situations where Johnny's on everything and maybe he was going to share. And Johnny died. Johnny died owning everything. And you know who got that estate? Johnny's wife. Because Johnny didn't have a will either. And that situation I've seen. And I have, it is tragic. It ends up litigation. And it's, it's a horrible thing. Um, but you've got to know, you want to, you're, you want to, and you can't, this is not a hard sell. This is a soft yeah. sell about reducing stress on the family. And maybe there'll be something left over to pay for the grandchildren's college or to help uh, someone who's in need and your kids who might be struggling. A lot of the next generation right now is struggling. Wouldn't it be a boon to give your son an extra 30 or $50,000 to fix up his house or to, to pay his rent or, or, or alleviate some of his debt? What a gift that would be. What a stress reliever that would be rather than using it you know, to pay capital gains taxes or something. There's ways to make that money available and to pass on the wealth that you've worked for your whole life. We're all working hard. There's not a lot left over and let's save it. And that's a good, um, cause we were talking just in the, in the room before we came on, we're hearing more about how the millennial generation and generations below are not going to be as well off as their parents. And, um, as just kind of a macro larger kind of situation. Some will be, but a lot of them won't be. So as you think about finding your people, right? And what's in it for me, and I'm gonna need this, and I'm relying on this money for, for my strategy or whatever they, you know, whatever this child is doing, by not taking control of it now, you know, there are other kind of chaos theory things that'll come in. You leave it to your one son to, to give it to everybody else, but then all of a sudden he gets hit by a bus on the way home. Now his wife has it and the family didn't like the wife. And now all of a sudden it's all gone. And, and it was just, you know, how do we plan for the things that we don't know we have to plan for? That's where the value of, of something like someone like you really comes in to say, the reason we do it this way is because of this 0.1% of a chance that this is going to happen. It does happen from time to time. So we have to get these things in order. The other thing is people think it's when it's in your head, and you don't know it. And this is true of all of us. There's something we don't know. We picture this boogeyman that's much bigger than it is. But when we start to break it down, we say, OK, well, you only have five assets. You have a house. You have two an IRA. You have this pension fund. You got two accounts and you have the stock over here in paper, which is lousy, not in paper. It's not that complicated. Who do we want to get this pot? And let's just put it, arrange it. Maybe you have three little tiny accounts which you consolidate. Let's just make it a little simpler. Make a list. You'll be able to look at it. And we'll have it in one place. And I'll have it in my file. If, some, if you don't want to give it to your kids now and you don't want to tell them how much you own, I'll have it in my file. So that I'll be able to say, look, this is what your mother owned. This is what you have to collect. Here's the will. Here's the story. And it, it's just reduce the stress just by putting your arms around it. And you say, you know, I really need help at home. I said, well, you have this income. And then, you know, when you're 72 and a half, you're going to get this IRA money. You're going to get your RMD. 
And what are your expenses? We always look at the expenses. And what are you likely to need? And how much is that going to cost? And you're going to be okay. Don't freak out. And if you're not okay, here's the plan. We're going to make it okay because we're going to apply for benefits and we're going to make you benefit eligible. And we can talk about that and what that looks like in terms of timing. And now we've demystified the big, scary boogeyman and we've turned it into little bitty pieces and consolidated that. And uh, people walk out, you know, in the old days, they'd give me a hug, but they say, you know, wow, this, you just made it clear. And I'm going to go home and I feel like I've done it. And I said, you have done it. Congratulations. That's nice. It's really and it's, as, as you sit there, you know, going back to the whole, this isn't an ultra wealthy proposition, right? You can put together plans for those people that may not have enough to make it to the end, like applying for benefits. And I, you know, as you think about all of those, you're creating your general end of life plan yeah. to make sure that you're, you're completely covered. One of the things we debated whether or not to talk about, I'll talk about it anyway, this, you know, dealing with lawyers is expensive. Yeah. Um, and when you're talking about five documents, is that expensive? Um, there's a saying, you know, if nobody has the money to pay to do it right the first time, but they always find the money to redo it and redo it and redo it. What should people try to buy? I know, I know it's going to be custom and you can't really give a thing, but is there a general range that people should be thinking of to say this is what it's ultimately going to cost because it's you know one of those necessary things? Right. So I think people have to put the decision-making and the, and the plan to hire a lawyer in a context of what things cost, right? Um, it's going to cost to do those five documents. I actually do six. Um, now, but to do those documents and a will is going to cost a couple of thousand dollars. That's what it's going to cost. If you look at the other things you pay, I think of it as insurance and it's one-time insurance, right? If you do the documents right and they last and the people that you've appointed, you've got backup people and you've thought of what happens, God forbid, your child is predeceased. So you put a few conditions in those alternate plans in those documents those documents are going to serve you for the rest of your life. I mean, you still look at them. Things do change. But you buy health insurance that you pay for if you're fortunate enough to have it. You buy car insurance if you have a car. You, you have insurance for your contents of your apartment or your house and your real estate taxes are this amount of money. What you're buying is so worth it in terms of making this transition for yourself and your loved ones smooth. Now, for people who have harder situations, the cost might be more. They need trust to plan for Medicaid or tax savings trusts or more elaborate estate plans, then it's going to cost more. But it almost, it always costs more not to plan than to plan. If you don't have a will, you're going to be in court anyway, figuring out uh, how to do an administration proceeding. You're going to need a se separate documents. Your administrator is going to have to post a bond. You're going to have to file family tree affidavits. There's things that you're going to have to do because it's just more complicated and it's going to take, likely going to take longer. If you have a complicated family situation and not everyone's being treated equally or you have disabled people in your chain or I mentioned property out of state, it's really going to cost a lot more and it's going to take it might take years to settle that estate um, rather than um, doing it carefully. I have a client who owns several pieces of real estate in Brooklyn who's wealthy. His daughter drafted his will. 
she named herself as executor and she died before him. It was very tragic and he didn't have an executor and he had apartments with income and tenants and we didn't have anybody in charge. We had an emergency application to the court to appoint an executor. Who's gonna be the executor? There was no alternate. And we had a lot of kids who were interested and we had to sort that out and try to keep the peace and keep those buildings safe and insured. And we had expenses like the next day after he died, there was no plan and there was estate taxes. And it was really sad because they spent a tremendous amount of money and several years trying to sort that out because the documents were not done by an experienced attorney and the questions and the alternates were not provided for. So it's, it's almost make the, the proper investment. Otherwise it's going to cost you a lot more later. Well, you know, maybe you left everything jointly with one kid and it's, you only have one kid and it worked out, but you know, that's not a safe bet. It's just not safe enough because it might, it might end up being, not what you what you intended right so, and that's i mean that's that's a good it's this is ultimately what you intend so as we wrap up i know we're coming up closer to the top of the hour but yeah. um lots to digest yeah from this but ultimately it's you know i guess next steps for people listening is figuring out what it is that you intend and then reaching out to a person like you to just kind of put this plan together yeah and we give people lists of things to think about before they come in and we give them an application sheet so that they're just, they start to think about what we need to know to have this conversation. And, and I'll know based on, you know, what the information they provide me, like, what's the story? And, and then, of course, you need to get the story directly from the client. So you understand the sensitivities that are, you know, that you need to consider. Perfect. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, Joanne, thank you so much. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I appreciate it. Um, this is important. It's an this important topic. It's a, I feel like it's it's pure public service. Um, it's a public service announcement to the people listening. Well, the last thing I want to say was when we did five at 55, we actually turned it into kind of a, a bit of a campaign. We reached out to lawyers. And if you look at the back of the book, you'll see a bunch of lawyers in different states. We reached out to, to use this as a tool to educate people. And let's call it five at 55 and let's make it a thing. Let people think, oh, I'm 55. You know, come on, Bernard, we got to go see the lawyer. We're 55. And people say, you know, I'm past 55. It's okay. You're here. It's real good. But have that be a trigger to say it's time. And let's just pass the word about that so people don't end up in chaos, no matter where they live. And, you know, a lot of these forms of state specific, um, they're all in the back of the book for New York State, but um, which is where I practice. But, um, you know, we want to make it a thing. We want to make an educational campaign out of it. And that's the way we approached it. So, Jim, this has been great. I really appreciate being here and, and you're putting this together. Thank you. Thank you, Joanne. And remember that 20 years ago was always the best time to get started. Second like best time is now. So five at 55. Um, great guy to at least get the conversation started. Take a look at what you need. Feel free to reach out to Joanne. Joanne's at Grimaldi and Young in Brooklyn. Um, We're also certainly. in Midtown. We're also in Midtown as well. Oh, in Midtown. There you go. So okay. all over, all over the this fine city. Um so reach out and uh, get your plans together and do that. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, more uh, on Joanne and Grimaldi and Young and the book, 5 of 55, where you can get it. We'll all be on bellwetherhub.com. So log on there. And I look forward to seeing everybody soon. Thanks for joining. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Now, do something for yourself. Bellwether is much more than just a podcast. 
Join us at bellwetherhub.com, where you can read riveting articles, view upcoming events, and connect with other interesting people. I look forward to seeing you out there soon. Thank you.